It kind of reminds me how um, the Owl City guy made all of the sound effects for the iPhone. (laughs) And how they're they're all like weird kind of atmospheric doodly doos and stuff. Did he really do that? Is that really a thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was when they did the iPhone, I think the 6. That's so cool. I never knew that. That's amazing. Yeah. It was a big deal. I mean, I follow a lot of people with terrible taste in music, so I saw (laughs) a lot of people (laughs) saying, OMG, L City Guy, and I'm like, that's cool. I mean, his music was okay, but I never really got into it, but the beep (laughs) Well, I mean, if you like... If you like the Postal Service, you might like him. Yeah. If you like Postal Service, like, rip-offs type of thing. Don't get me wrong. Give Up is a perfect album. So, but Owl City is no Give Up. Punks podcast. I'm your host Craig Bideman. This week I'm chatting with a new friend named Neil Carcanis. He is in the band The Great Heights Band. The band The Great Heights Band. I like that. Uh, they are a really solid band, a very eclectic style, uh, and they have a new album coming out this Friday. It's called Rad Pop. Uh, it's coming out on CI Records, and you get to hear all about Neil's life as a lobbyist. Yep. He's a punk rock lawyer slash lobbyist in the healthcare industry. He works for the Maryland Hospital Association. So you get to hear his roundabout way of getting into that line of work. You also get to hear how basically pursuing his education was his way of giving the middle finger to a teacher or an advisor that said he was never going to succeed. Having been someone that experienced that as well, it was nice for us to kind of bond with our stories of what it was like to get educated out of spite, (laughs) which is absolutely fun and very punk way of navigating the world is, you know, doing a lot of things out of spite. But you get to hear a whole bunch about Neil, a whole bunch about uh, the Great Heights band and how he he helped create that band and how Rad Pop got made. So before we get to that, 
Just going to remind folks that you can rate, review, and subscribe to the Edupunks podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, all, all those fun spots where you get podcasts. And if you're on my website, craigbiderman.com, hey, thanks for the clicks. That's pretty sweet. Uh, and yeah, next week will be another In Between Spins episode. It's going to be an episode about getting to the gig. We've already recorded it. It is a fun conversation. So definitely look forward to that as well. Not going to dilly-dally too much more. Let's get to this conversation with Neil Karkanis. So I'm sitting here digitally with Neil Karkanis of the band The Great Heights Band. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Had a nice bit of exercising just now. And I'm pretty That's hungry, right. but I'll be okay. Yeah. I'll be hungry in a little bit and I'll just eat. I'll eat a lot of food and then go to bed, right? That's great. A solid okay is like a six. And six is passable. You know? Yeah. Most days I feel like a six. Yeah. And I've kind of given up on like pretending how I'm doing just to like appease people. Like if I'm not doing great, I'm not going to tell you I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. And I think that's, that's real, you know, try to, be. um, yeah, you know, and likewise, if I'm feeling completely awful, at least, you know, just be straightforward about it, you know, because <laughs> like, then, then... all right. So I know a little bit about you, but folks listening might not know anything about you. Can you explain who you are, what you do, where you come from and all that other fun stuff? Sure. So I am, like you said, my name is Neil Karkanis. I play in a band called The Great Heights Man. I sing and play guitar in that band, but play a little bit of everything. And um, um, that band's been around now for four years, and we have a new record coming out on April 20th. Um, So I'm not sure when this this podcast airs, but it'll be out April 20th. Um, It's called Rad Pop. Check it out. Um, But aside from music, uh, you know, I am uh, recently engaged. So that's been a big, big thing in my life. So so planning a wedding. Um, I work in politics. Um, I got my law degree um, about a couple of years ago. And I've just been... Where did you get your degree from? um, I went to the University of Maryland. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, really good school. Um, And now I work mostly doing healthcare stuff. And you're in Maryland, right? Yeah, I live in a town called Columbia, which is right outside of Baltimore. So it's like 10 minutes south of Baltimore. And it's the first ever completely planned community in the whole country. And so what it's does incredibly... That mean? So, so what that means is they built the mall and then they built out from the mall. They built all the residential, all the, all the school, all the parks, all that stuff. They had figured out what the entire town would be like before they just decided to put a town there. And so the whole thing was planned and developed over a couple of decades. Um, and finally, they had the funding and, and, and the right political will to, to make the whole thing happen. And so everything is very convenient, um, very purposeful. The streets are named after um, different uh, literary themes from different books. Um, so it's, it's, a, a, it's a very convenient and like family suburbia type of uh, community. Um, but it can also be a little boring, a little gray. Um, you know, it, it can definitely, we can definitely build uh, up our culture, I think. But, 
you know, I lived in Baltimore City for about a decade when I was going to school and stuff. And I miss the city dearly. Me and uh, Mel, my fiance, we're both definitely city people. Um, but I also racked up tons of parking tickets. I had my car broken into. I had several things stolen from me. Um, you know, so there's pros and cons with it. But, um, you know, I would go back to the city in a heartbeat. I mean, we lived in Boston proper for like a year. Not was enough for me. So now living in living in Quincy, Mass is nice. It's quiet. We have a permanent parking. Like we don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah, it's nice. That's that's exactly what what we have now, and it, it just feels so adult in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as music goes, it's great because I have a home little home studio here, and I can be as loud as I want to be, um, and really create, and not worry about the neighbors banging on my wall and you know stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and also I can have pretty expensive gear here and not worry about my place getting broken into. So that's a, that's a plus too. That's, that's awesome. So you, you didn't just go straight to law. I imagine what, what, what was your start in education? Like what was school like for you come growing up? Yeah. So that's a really good question. So I grew up in Houston, Texas, um, pretty big city and I went to public schools and um, these public schools, they are, as far as size goes, they call them like the high schools. They say they're a five A school. And the only way a school can be a five A school is if there's a ton of kids that go there. And so in Maryland, for example, there isn't a school that's larger than four A. So to have a five A school is quite big. I'm not sure that any other state than Texas has it. Maybe California has them. Um, but my school is Oregon. very, very large. Oh, you have them in Oregon? Yep. I'm talking about, um, um, very diverse, uh, um, probably had 1200 kids in my grade, um, you know, extremely diverse in terms of so- socioeconomic status, in terms of race and all that stuff. Um, and so it was just a really great way to grow up because you get surrounded by a lot of different people, a lot of different things that are happening. Some people that are like uber successful, uber smart that have an opportunity to do something really wonderful to folks that come from a much more rough background that get into trouble easily. So some of my friends back in, in Houston, some of them are dead. Some of them are in jail. Some of them are now working for big oil and gas. So it's like a really, really diverse background. And um, I moved from when, I, when I was in Houston when I was 16 years old. So I moved to Frederick County, Maryland, which is like the polar opposite of, of Houston, Texas. And so when I moved to Frederick County, I became the only Indian kid in the entire school. Oh. Instantly, um, it was. I went from a five A school to a three A school. Okay. Um, and as far as public schools go, the school I went to, it's called Urbana High School in Frederick County. It's a good high school. Um, you know, the the they have the right books, they have uh, good tech, they have great teachers, they have all those things in place. But it's still, you know, the country. It's the countryside. You look out the window, and there's cows out the window. So yeah. it was definitely a huge culture shock for me. Um, to spend a couple of years going to high school there. And then um, I got into a really great school for undergrad called UMBC. Um, it's the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And if you follow the, uh, the um, oh, yeah. March, March Madness, yep. we were, we were the, uh, the Cinderella. So we, we knocked out Virginia. That was a big, big thing for us because yeah. our school is really known for chess and, and academics and like this like really, really rigorous academics. We've been asked several times to take on a college football team. Under Armour is offered to build a whole stadium. It would bring in a ton of money 
but um, the UNBC president, his name is Freeman Rabowski. He's actually um, just a, he's brilliant. B, he's a great guy. Um, but C, he's been ranked as like one of the top 10 most powerful men on the planet, which oh. is just a ridiculous thing to think about. How do you and get that? He, just sheer influence. And I think, you know, he became influential because he's so well respected. Huh. And when he came to the university a couple of decades ago, he made a commitment to make that university academically, um, you know, exceptional, um, where where the standard is excellent, excellence. The standard is not, um, you know, average college school that has a football team, you know. And so he's refused that, and um, you know, they built a really, really great school there, and it's an incredibly diverse campus. It graduates um, the highest amount of um, African Americans in sciences. Um, there's tons of minorities there, but it's really, it's, it's not like it's a historically black school or anything like that either. There's a lot of white folks there. There's a lot of Asians there. There's a lot of Indians there. So it's, it's just a really nice place to grow into your young adulthood. Hmm. Um, so I went to, I went to undergrad there, uh, did, did like a public policy, policy side type of degree. Um, and then I went to grad school there, which was like through an accelerated program, um, which was really great for me because I really needed at the time, I needed more mentors around me, older folks. And so I did a program that was 16 months accelerated on the weekends while I was working full time and got like a really great executive level education in public policy and, and management type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And then um, from there, I went to law school, but I worked throughout the whole thing. <laughs> so so it, was, it was just a wild experience. Um, and it worked out well for me because I was able to pay off school while I was in school. But it was a it was a shitload of work. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it. Uh, and when we because we chatted a, a little while ago, just so we could uh, uh, so we could like get to know each other a little bit, you told me that going into education and getting into college was completely built on spite, and we. We bonded over that because we were both kind of told that we wouldn't really amount to anything. Can you expand on that a little bit? That's so funny that you remember that. I completely forgot that I told you that. Oh, I remember everything. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, when I was an undergrad, it took me five years to finish my undergraduate degree. And it took five years simply because... I was not motivated. I was immature. I was, I loved to party. I did not like to wake up early. So if it was a class before 11 a.m., I was not there. So at one point in time, I think my GPA was literally probably a 1.7, something really not good, very, very low. And um, I went and I was asked to meet with the advisor. So I meet with this advisor who happened to be a professor of mine and I really did not respect this woman because I just did not like the way she taught she really um, demeaned students she just didn't there's nothing um, inspirational about her and some of my favorite professors and mentors are incredibly inspirational people and, and, and musicians for that matter so I met with her she said hey Neil so and at this point she hasn't really taken any time to get to know me as a human being whatsoever so she says, hey, Neil, so it seems like you just can't handle college. And it seems like maybe, you know, you should consider just like 
leaving and like, you know, go get a job at a restaurant or like go, go do something so you can make money. Um, you know, you could be like a security guard at the mall. You can like, you could do all these, these other things and just get out of here, but just leave. <laughs> yeah. It was very much like, well, why are you here? You're an idiot. Go do something that doesn't require a college degree. And so I left that um, meeting, A, feeling like complete garbage, you know, and, and, and B, I, I, I remember it vividly. I drove around at UMBC. If anybody's gone there, if anybody's been around Baltimore knows the campus, it's mm-hmm. a giant circle. There's a big loop around the whole school. And so I got in my car and I probably went around that circle about 60 times, maybe 80 times, not even exaggerating. <laughs> And there's several stop signs. So like you're driving like 15 miles per hour, stop and go, stop and go. Just like really thinking deeply about what she said and what I wanted out of my life. And I realized probably about a hundred stop signs in that fuck this lady. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she, yeah. she like, like, like an advisor should be someone that identifies what someone's strengths and weaknesses are and motivates them to seek you know, their maximum potential, not someone who tells that person that they can't succeed and tells them to do something else. So I instantly knew that, that fuck that lady. And I knew that I had at least one semester to prove myself. Um, Because if she's saying about me to my face, that means she's, she's putting that in my file She's yeah. talking to other professors. Yep. There's conversations going on. I'm yep. sure I'm, I'm on some shit list, you know. And that's not the way I want it to be perceived. So not only fuck that lady, but fuck me. Because everything I've done to that point led her to believe that, you yep. know. So, so after I got over being mad at her, I was really upset with myself. Yeah. And I said, look, this is not the person I am. And this is not the person I want to be or the person I want to be remembered as. And so I just really buckled down over the course of that next semester. I went to the writing center every day, whatever it was. And I, and I went with the, to an English major and I said, hey, can you dissect what, I'm, what I've written here? Can you help me become a stronger writer? Did that for every single paper. And that benefited me in at least two ways. One of those ways is I became a, a stronger writer. And the other way is your professor is notified every single time you go to the writing center. So they know you're putting in the work. And so that was part of trying to show them that I'm putting in the work. So that next semester, I had a 4.0. Semester after that, I had a 4.0. Nice. Semester after that, I had a 4.0. And and that's how I finished my college, just crushing it. But to this day, I can't stand that woman. Ah. (laughs) 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 You know, yeah, I can't stand that one. So tell me about your story. No, I mean, when I was in high school, so, I mean, I've talked a little bit on the podcast about, like, I'm a kid with ADHD. I was a kid that got labeled that because I couldn't sit still. And in the early 90s, a kid who couldn't sit still, ADHD, put him on Ritalin. And through a lot of growing up, like, I was kind of just treated like the weird kid, but I was always getting good grades, and it was, like, a really weird conundrum that a lot of teachers couldn't figure <laughs> out. They're like, why is he acting like this? He's so, like, he's he actually does everything, and he's here every day. Like, I did not miss school. <laughs> I missed four days of high school. 
That's amazing. Total. And so, but I still had uh, a teacher in my high school tell me that I would never succeed in college because of the way I act. And I was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> right. And I told her that. And now I have three degrees, have been a teacher, and I'm currently an educator. So. Yeah. So Deuces. fuck you. <laughs> no, but I mean, so, but then, so then I th- I've thought about it. Like I've thought about this deeply, right? Cause it's like, it's a big part of who I am and that's a big part of who you are. Right. Yeah. And so I wonder, was she playing some like weird psychological game with me? And that was the way to motivate me. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, 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 unfortunately I know her pretty well. So like, I can't quite give her that credit and I wish I could. <laughs> um, and if for some reason she is, she did do that, then like, holy crap. Like, yeah, that's the, that's the ultimate, you know, that's awesome. She's just like sipping some wine. I take full responsibility yeah. for Neil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Time for an ad break here in the conversation with Neil. I'm going to hype up my friend's work over at Table Turned. Get yourself a subscription to some sick vinyl. We had Dane on a couple weeks ago talking about how he created Table Turned. It's a really kick-ass DIY vinyl record subscription. You get a, a record each month. You pay each month or you can pay up front $175. You'll get 12 records in a year. That's one a month for a year. Right now you can sign up for the post-hardcore uh, record subscription or the Shoegaze Revival subscription. I... Just re-upped for another year with uh, Table Turned, and I got myself the Shoegaze Revival. I have a whole bunch of post-hardcore records. I'm fine with that, but I want some more Shoegaze records. I want to be a bummer while listening to a bunch of fuzzy, noisy tunes. So I'm going to listen to some Shoegaze, and and that's, that's what I want. If you want some records, go to table-turn.com and sign up right now. And go back and listen to the conversation I had with Dane Erbach about how he created Table Turned and how he's a punk rock uh, teacher. It's a really great conversation. But for now, let's get back to the conversation with Neil. So you, how do you get to now work for the Maryland Hospital Association. How does that come about? Uh, so that's, that's interesting. So, so it, it's really started so right when I was wrapping up undergrad, my last year, I was really, really interested in politics. And at the time, um, Obama um, had just been elected. Um, and so it was a really exciting time. It was, it was at the end of the Bush era. And we're still dealing with, like, you know, being in Iraq and, like, you know, the economy has just crumbled completely. And, you know, kids my age are getting out of school with, with nowhere to go for a job. And even if they have a degree, they, they might wind up working at that restaurant where they work throughout college and have to stay there. And so um, I was just really fascinated with politics and the way things get decided, the way choices are made. Um, and I think those choices are based on for the most part, good arguments. Um, if you can make a good argument for something, if you can make a case for something, you can typically get your way or get get somebody, convince someone to do something. Now, that's one big part of it. The other big part of it is politics and money and, and influence and 
and corruption and all this like really dirty stuff right so like you have the yin and the yang with the whole thing and that's always fascinated me and it's always fascinated me um to see how leaders whether they're the obamas of the world or the bushes of the world or the trumps of the world for that matter how they rose to power and how they kept it and how they were able to influence and impact society so that's always has been something i love and um, so I was doing a lot of reading, a lot of uh, uh, philosophy type stuff. And when I, it was in my last year at undergrad, I got offered an internship with Senator Ben Cardin and I got an internship with AARP Maryland. Um, both of those internship opportunities were excellent for different reasons. Cardin, of course, a longtime senator, incredibly um, uh, smart and gifted leader, knows a lot about healthcare, literally wrote the rules for healthcare in the state of Maryland um, 30, 40 years ago. So there's a lot there. Um, and of course, not bad for your resume. Yeah. And then AARP, you know, they represent old people, but they represent over 50 million people. Yeah. That's a lot of people. It's a big part of our society. And those issues that they work on happen to make up at least 20% of our GDP when you talk about Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, and all that stuff. And so... I thought about like, okay, where can I learn the most things and what can I do as a college student in terms of paying my bills? Cause I'm paying my way through school. So, um, ARP just off, frankly, they gave me a better offer. Yeah. And so I wound up working with them, um, for a year. And when I was there, I, I had a really great mentor who's now the state director there. Um, and he really took me under his wing at the time he was the legislative director and he had me um, like editing policy papers, doing research for him, doing internship stuff. But he realized I could talk. So um, he started taking me to Annapolis, Maryland, which is our capital in our, in our state and where the state legislature is. And really just exposing me to what happens day to day during the legislative session, how things get done that you don't read about in the newspaper or on the Internet or even on Facebook, for that matter. At the time, I don't think Facebook was a big thing. So, um we uh, we did that for a good bit, and then I started testifying on issues as an intern. So Jeez. can you imagine? I was like like twenty one, um, and I'm testifying on issues before various committees. So if it was a committee that had to do with healthcare. I'd be in front of the the House Health and Government Operations Committee on behalf of AARP testifying on something. Twenty one years old. I don't even own a suit. I'm wearing a sweater from Gap that I, you know, threw off, you know, pulled out of my drawer. It's kind of wrinkly. I'm sitting next to PhDs and like chief executives, and it was just an absurd situation. And Damn. so, did that as an intern, and um, I got uh, headhunted through that, and I and I got a job right out of school um, at the complete downfall of the economy. So I was super lucky and super blessed. Um, and that job was with the, the nursing home association in the state. So, yeah. again, still in the old people realm, but it was dealing with all the long-term care issues. And so I, I worked with that organization for a few years and uh, really learned the ropes there. And it was more like policy analyst type, like, nerd stuff. Learning how rules work, how, how, how the regulatory system works in Maryland with state agencies, things like that, how you how you comment on proposed rules. And this is more about that arguments part of politics, like making the best argument in your case. So I learned a lot about that. And then I got a job on Capitol Hill and I represented consumers. And that happened to be during a time where 
our country, we, we started to have our first ever government shutdowns, which yeah. now seem ordinary. But back then, which was only a couple of years ago, a government shutdown was unheard of. They had to pass a budget bill to keep things moving. That's mm-hmm. what they did. So they would do a continuing resolution. They would do whatever they had to do to keep the lights on and keep the doors unlocked and keep people employed and people getting their benefits and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But while I was there, the Republicans were in power in, in, in Congress and Obama was in was president and the Republicans did not want to do anything to help out President Obama. And so they refused to do anything and our government shut down. Mm-hmm. And when we came back, we in, in, uh, we, we um, put forth something called sequestration, which is automatic cuts. So that, that, ha- that happened a few years ago, and it happens every single year. So because of sequestration, um, our programs like Medicare and Medicaid and Meals on Wheels and all these other things, they are automatically cut every single year. Okay by statute which hmm. never existed before then so that was a big problem and that was something i worked on trying to fight against uh, so i got to work on things like um there's something called a paper plate campaign so um you know someone who gets a meal on wheel a meals on meal you know as a beneficiary they um not only get the food but it might be the only time that they have like an interaction with another human being huh like they're stuck in their house like because they're disabled or they're old or whatever, they have zero interaction with, with other humans until someone knocks on their door with that meal. Wow. And so w- what we did is started a campaign to try to make sure that that program wasn't cut. Because if someone doesn't get that meal, their health care is affected. Um, they're not getting the socialization they need. Um, they're going to get sick. They're going to get worse. And they're going to get hospitalized. And it's going to cost more money. So there's like a human element to it of like, yeah, that's messed up. This person needs, they need interaction. They need social interaction. They need nutrition and they're poor and all these, all these like, those are very liberal arguments. And then on the, like the conservative side, if they don't get that stuff, they're going to cost money and it's going to drive up taxes and it's going to do all. So those are two different arguments, right? Yeah. And so it's my job to look at the world through both lenses and be able to um, articulate why we need to do something for different reasons. And so for that particular issue, me and a bunch of, of other advocates, we decided to, to start a paper plate campaign. Mm-hmm. And so we had Meals on Wheels recipients write a letter to their, their congressperson um, on a paper plate and mail it in. And so Congress one day was nailed with millions of paper plate letters. Wow. And um, and they they decided they couldn't cut the program because guess what? Guess what? Old people they vote, <laughs> and that's what those legislators care about. Because us young people we don't show up to the polls, so they don't give a shit about us. They care about the people that vote, and so it's it's a really fat politics is very fascinating because it's it's public policy. It's like okay, how do we fix this problem? But it's also how do we convince that person to fix this problem? Why should they care about it? You know, um, so I did that for for a couple of years, and that's when I started law school. So I was commuting back and forth. I was living in Baltimore City, going to DC uh, during the day, and then coming in to school at night in Baltimore. It was very hectic. 
I was probably doing a lot of like what you did today, flying around on your bike. Yeah. Um, I was riding a bike here. It was awesome. Um, hanging out with my best buds, doing that whole thing. Um, and I kind of burnt out on that whole um, the commute. And so the nursing home association, they had an opportunity for me to come back, sort of work flexible, have a flexible schedule. I did that. I wanted to max out law school, so I wound up interning for a judge in Baltimore City, which was really cool because he had a he had a civil docket. So this was like a whole other thing, right? So learning no more about law and like how how our court system works. And so he had a civil docket. So we're dealing mostly in Baltimore City. You mostly deal with like lead paint cases and things like that. Where like a a poor, typically black kid ha- eats a paint chip when they're a kid because they live in a place that has still has lead paint on the wall yeah. and it eyes their brain and they grow up without, with their IQ totally shot. And so then those families sue those companies that painted those walls like that. Yeah. And so it was interesting to be part of those hearings, but it was also interesting because my judge had a docket prior to when I started that was criminal. And so he was getting all these, probation cases while I was there for people that were convicts and it was just amazing to me to see how many criminals were young how many were black how many were uh, like uh, there for violent crimes how many there were there for drug crimes drug offenses most of which were like small possessions of marijuana or something like that Um, and it just it, it was really evident to me in that moment, because I was taking criminal law at the time also. And one, other than like the law of, of, you know, of criminal law, you know, you have actus reus, you have mens rea, you have like all these different elements that make up different um, sort of like, what is murder? What is burglary? What are, you know, you have all these elements that make up those crimes. But yeah. one thing that stuck out to me as far as like inequality in our um, country is I learned that um, in Baltimore city, Eight out of 10 African-Americans that are in my age group, which is between 25 and 34, um, either is in jail, is on probation, or is awaiting trial. Eight out of 10. In D.C., it's seven out of 10. And then you you look at the data for, like, brown people, like Asian, Asian Asian-Americans, or white people. Of course, white people are very low. It's like one or two out of 10. Asians are like three, one or two out of 10. And then Latinos are more like five out of 10. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then you look at the data for like who smokes pot and who doesn't. And everybody smokes pot. Yep. And so then it's like, okay, something's not adding up here. Uh... Something's a little. And so like I'm literally in the courtroom while I see these kids that they, they, could, they could be my friend. You know, like we're the same yeah. age. Um, and they just their their cards read something different than my cards you know and um so it was just like a really powerful couple of years whether it was like dc consumer advocacy stuff seeing how politics work in this most dirtiest fashion to like nitty-gritty baltimore city being in a courtroom and seeing how like justice is quote-unquote served um and so i did that for a little bit wrapped up law school and i took a year off okay i was totally burnt out um, and I had a, I had a, uh, a tragedy in our personal lives. We had a really a dear friend of ours had passed away. Um, 
uh, through suicide. And so it was just really depressing. And we had to go down to Texas and like deal with this whole thing. So I took a year off and um, decided to travel the world, um, focus on music. So I wrote a lot of music for people's like weddings and like things like that. I'm I'm part of a um, um, a collective of musicians that that, that does that for people. And um, went to Southeast Asia on my own. Traveled around the whole um, continent. Did some really cool stuff. Experienced some really cool cool things. Met some amazing people. Um, and just learned a lot about the world. And then I was there on um, election day in um 2016 um when mr trump won and it was just an incredible experience being literally on the other side of the planet yeah um like if you if you put our finger if you put your fingers against a globe where i was which was in at the time i was in pi which is north of chiang mai in thailand put your finger there and you put your finger in baltimore maryland or in um in massachusetts it's probably literally on the other side of the world and my, my Facebook feed is very liberal. Most of my friends are liberal. It's mostly yeah. musicians and stuff like that. So um, it was just everyone freaking out. Everyone, yeah. the world is ending. What what the hell has happened? That that type of thing. And then I, I, and I was like, okay, let me just put my phone down. And I look around and I'm in paradise. No one cares. No one's even thinking about that stuff. It's a totally different world. It's just like, it was just an incredible uh, amount of perspective. I came back. I worked on music for a bunch of different projects. And then over the summer, another uh, weird thing happened, but my sister was diagnosed with a tumor. Oh, and so boy. she had a tumor. I know, it was like one thing after another. So she got a tumor That's how on it her is, brain though. Stem. That's how it goes. It's crazy, man. Life is like freaking crazy. It's, it's, it's amazing. Life is amazing, but it's crazy. So <laughs> she was diagnosed with a tumor on her brain stem. And so I'm now like the healthcare guy that kind of took – a break from it for a year and now my sister has been diagnosed with this really scary situation and she has no idea how to navigate the healthcare system right because it's a complete clusterfuck so now i'm back in baltimore and i'm going back and forth to new york she lives in brooklyn so i'm going back and forth to brooklyn like probably a couple of days a week um just taking her to the doctor figuring out how to do deal with the situation, like what are our options, all that stuff. Um, ultimately, it was benign, so we're super stoked about that. But the issue was it was putting pressure on her brain. Yeah. And so had we let it go, she would she would die. That's, just, that's the reality of it. So, sorry. Um, so luckily, uh, um, she has excellent insurance. She works for a great company. She's uh, one of the few that probably could you know, have access to this care and one of maybe five surgeons in the whole world that could do this procedure happened to be in New York. And so this guy was down to do it. He did it. The surgery was very, it was successful. And right. I think it might've been the day before the day after the surgery. I can't remember, but an old colleague of mine from the, my lobbying days reached out to me on Facebook and he said, Hey, this job just came available with Maryland Hospital Association. You'd be perfect for it. You know healthcare. You're a young guy. You can talk. You can do that whole thing. But you know, you know the politics. You know the people, and you know, you know the issues. So you should really consider applying for this job. 
And it was just like this weird moment where I was like, I guess I'm like meant to do this because I literally just dealt with this crazy thing and like I helped her and like I can help people. And so yeah, applied one thing to another and here I am. Gosh, that's you, that's fascinating. <laughs> like, I mean, we kind of we all get to where we are in weird, convoluted ways. I get it. But that is that's all over the place, man. So as a lobbyist, what have you been what have you learned uh, about that life? And uh, that experience as a lobbyist, in, especially in the healthcare debate. Yeah, um, I've learned that it's kind of it's it's interesting. Cause I know we're gonna talk about music later, but there's a lot of parallels. Oh, we can we can mesh this. We can mesh this as much as you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's been the most interesting thing is like when people think about a band or they think about a, uh, uh, an artist they really love, whether it's Paul McCartney or, um, you know, Jesse Lacey for, for, you know, yeah. and I'm, and I'm naming those people on purpose because yeah. there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, controversy around Jesse Lacey right now. Right. Yeah, yeah, so, um, those people, they're, they're rock stars and they're major musicians and they're huge influencers. But at the end of the day, they're just human beings. They're just yeah. people that do stuff. They're people that wake up, go to sleep every day. They wake up in the morning. They take a shit. They eat breakfast. They do whatever they got to do, and they live their lives. They're people. The same is true for politicians. Hmm. Politicians are nothing more than people. That's yeah. it. And so there, there's, there shouldn't ever be a, oh, that's Senator X. I shouldn't speak to them, or that's singer Y from that band that I love. I shouldn't speak to them because they're just human beings, and so. What I've learned through lobbying is if I speak to that person as a human being, as opposed to this person that's that's on this other pedestal, on this other level, of course, I treat them with respect and with dignity. But if I'm like straightforward with them, they're more likely to return respect and be more straightforward with me hmm. because people tend to um, imitate behavior. Yeah. You know? And so whether even though I know a lot about healthcare and I know a lot about this and that, that what what has helped is just being straightforward with people, being honest, being coming from a place of integrity, and and being credible. And and I've done that in the sense of, hey, this is who I am. This is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do, and this is why we're trying to do it. And this is why I need you. And if you don't bullshit with people, they're more likely to to be a friend, an ally. Hmm. Now, relative to the healthcare debate, it's really, really complicated because you you have healthcare as people look at it in several different ways. So uh, let me let me ask you a question: mm-hmm. in healthcare, who is the customer? Um, I would think is me. it the person that's paying for it? I would is think it, it's, is it you? I is think it? it's the person paying for it, but it could also be the employer. So that's right. So that it's a really interesting question. And I don't know that anybody has really answered it yet. And I think we're going to answer it soon because you have Apple now in the marketplace. You have Amazon in the marketplace. You have Walmart who just bought Humana. So you have all these private entities coming in, these for-profit private entities that are coming in to the healthcare sphere. And they're coming in for a reason. It's 18% of our GDP. It's big, big money. 
Um, but who pays for it? You have Medicare, which is a public program that's paid for through taxes. You have Medicaid, public program paid for by taxes, but you qualify because you're poor or disabled or a kid um, or blind. Um, you have private insurance, which now you can, you know, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, you can buy on your own or, um, you know, it's gotten purchased to your employer or whatever it is. Um, and and then you have the, the actual person that's getting the care, right? And so the people that are delivering the care, those service providers, they're going to have a tough question over the next couple, few years in terms of who is the customer? Who, can, who, who do we need to make happy? Because if it's the payer, then they're just trying to streamline the costs. They're trying to minimize cost as much as possible. If it's the person that's actually getting the care, then you're trying to maximize the quality. And that may not have to do with cost. In the long run, your cost will be lower because you'll have healthier people. In the short run, you're probably going to spend a little bit more money taking care of those people. If it's the private employer, then, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with the payer. You know, you want to keep your costs as minimal as possible. So it is a very, very challenging and complicated issue. And I think until we identify and agree with who the customer is and how we approach it, it's going to continue to be really controversial and complicated. Um, and it's really, 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 really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do. So It sounds like it. And as someone who, I mean, I work in a, in a wellness office. I, I work in our university health services office. And we have meetings where, like, my executive director deals with stuff that I've never had to think about. And then my job is literally to make sure students know about the resources. So I get these things explained to me and I'm like, okay, I'm not particularly sure what all that stuff means, but I'll make sure that students know that we have these things because sometimes I do get questions from students and they're like, what about this, this, and this? And I'll be like, oh yeah, I I was just told about this thing that we have now in university health services. Yeah. So I feel like you and I have, have similar Similar like expertises, expertise, expert expertises, expert expert bow ties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, where we're both we're both talkers, like naturally. Yeah. And so, like, it's a really good job for me because, like, I'm good at spin. I'm good at talking. I'm good at like making sure. I'm also good at like being that authentic kind of like, but also vulnerable person that is like yeah. making sure that folks feel comfortable seeking our services, um, which I think and those is a, services are, those are crucial. Those yeah. are crucial. Cause like half the time um, our students don't even realize that they can go to therapy for free. So. Yeah. And you know, you probably know more than me, but I remember when I was in school, like going and getting mental health services, there's really a stigma attached to it. Oh, 100%. Um, and I think over the last couple of years, that's gotten maybe a little bit better, but you know, if my friend who passed away had access and felt good about going to those services, maybe things would be different. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Time for the music break portion of the podcast. Right now, I'm going to bring you a new song from the upcoming album from the Great Heights Band. It is called Rad Pop. It comes out this Friday. 
April 20th on CI Records. You can get yourself a vinyl copy, a CD copy over at thegreatheightsband.com. Get yourself a copy of it. They got three sweet colors. They got a nice pink, a nice blue, a nice yellow. Very much uh, matches all the colors on the album artwork. Get yourself a copy. It's really great. It's a really great album. Uh, We're about to talk a whole bunch about it. And yeah. I hope you enjoy this song. It's called Straight to Hell. It's the first song on the album, so you get an idea of how this album uh, gets kick-started. Hell yeah. Let's hear the song Straight to Hell by the Great Heights Band. You're sweet when you're telling me that we can live our dreams, fulfill them endlessly. Big trees are surrounding me. It's my therapy. From all this
All right, that was Straight to Hell by the Great Heights Band. If you like what you heard, get a copy of their new album, Rad Pop. This Friday, April 20th on CI Records, you can go to thegreatheightsband.com, get yourself a vinyl copy, a CD copy, a digital copy, whatever works for you. But now let's finish up this conversation with Neil Karkanis. Well, let's transition a little bit. So you brought it up a little bit. You brought up music. How, when did you get involved in music? How do you do this stuff? What do you do? What What was first? What was your first instrument? Tell me a little bit about you as a musician. Yeah. So when I was a kid, um, young kid, um, my parents signed me up for piano lessons like many other young kids. So I went to soccer practice. I went to piano. I was really blessed in the sense that my parents were really um, – into keep getting me involved in things. Um, and so I had p- my piano lessons with Mrs. Hale down the street. Um, and I loved it, man. I loved it. I, I was pretty good at it. Um, and then around like the fifth or sixth grade, I was like, man, the piano is for nerds. And <laughs> so, and so, and so then I said, I want to play the guitar. And so, my dad got really excited because my dad's a huge rocker guy, and um, he started having me listen to The Offspring when I was in, like, fifth grade. Hey. You know, Offspring Smash, stuff like that. And that's the first time I'm hearing, like, punk rock guitars and just, like, really heavy, cool, fun, fast stuff. And then he's, he's uh, you know, exposing me to um, Led Zeppelin and The Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and um you know then and eric clapton and then like crazy like guitar like phenoms like joe satriani and um uh you know les claypool and so on and so forth um and then i got really into the cure and just i just got really into all these different bands as a really young kid um and i think another similarity you and i have is that i was a weird kid too you know like I, I early on felt like I did not fit in for no other reason than like my friends weren't really into music. They're into like other stuff. And so yep. um, I got, I got really into it. And then probably seventh, sixth, seventh grade, my dad bought me my first guitar. Um, and I remember he was super excited. I came home. It was like a surprise type thing. It was a Fender Telecaster Mexican made. I still have it right next to me. I can, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, um, and uh, that guitar, it does not look cool. The Telecasters are not a cool-looking guitar, and you don't realize it's a cool-looking guitar until much later. But I remember when I first got it, I was like, oh, this isn't a Strat. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's what the punkers were playing. Yeah. They played the exactly. Strats. Yeah, and so the, the Tele the telly is really, um, I think the Tele is more like me as a human. It's more like laid back, more um, like chill has that chill vibe. It's like not really worried about what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It's it's just about how it is, which it's a beautiful guitar for that reason. And so um, I started going to guitar lessons as a young kid, uh, doing that pretty regularly, getting into music theory. Um, in high school, um, I was in like chorus and like uh, guitar class and like just took an active uh, role in the arts. And in probably 10th, 11th grade is when I started my first band. Um it was a punk band called the Front Flying Richards. Nice. Um, yeah, that could easily so be a ska band too. Yeah, it could be a lot of strange things. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, man, I just got really into it. I just really, really loved 
um, playing music with my friends, the counterculture, um, because I was never like, I, I loved sports. I was like, I, I really liked playing basketball and tennis and things like that, but I was never a jock. I was never just able to like vibe with those people the same way as like musicians and artistic people. Same. And so, <laughs> yeah, when I was in high school, I started like um, running my own punk shows at like the Grange Hall and stuff like that. And just getting like really involved in the community. And, um, you know, my senior project was a benefit show. Um, and we had all these awesome bands on it that went on to do some cool things. So this is like old school, like drive through records bands, like Adelphi, the track record. Um, just a bunch of really cool bands were on it. And then, yeah, man, then got out of high school and that band kind of fell apart. And I was in a couple of bands during college. And um, over the years, those kind of fell apart too, for different reasons, starting to get more involved in the music business type of thing, mm -hmm. understanding how that works. And I remember I was playing in a band um, with a female singer and we were really good. It was like, it was like a Beatles-y type of band um, with like four part harmonies. It's like just a beautiful band. Hey. And we were getting appro approached by labels and stuff. And they were saying like, you know, she's got to dress differently or she's got to do this and that with her appearance. And, you know, we'll sign her, but not the rest of you guys. And it was just, it was in the era of like Haley Williams blowing up and all yep. that stuff. Yep. And, um, just got really disenchanted with the whole thing. At that time, we really believed that you need a label or you needed a manager. You needed someone that kind of validated your existence before you could be successful. Um, and it kind of, you know, ruined music for us. Mm -hmm. um, and to this day, you know, I love the Great Heights band. We're a great band, really talented guys. But to this day, that group was like, talent was just like off the charts, Aww. off the charts. Um, so it's really sad what happened there. But um, then I took a big break, man. I stopped. I entirely quit music for like several years. Yeah. Um, and then started law school. I was, you know, I always diddle daddle on the guitar and write stupid songs and stuff. And um, a friend of mine was like, "Hey, those are really good. Like, you should record them um, because they're awesome." And I was like, um, "I don't know." And so she eventually convinced me. And me and Paul, the now drummer of the Great Heights Band we wound up recording two songs that wound up being great Heights band songs that were leftovers from that previous band I was in. And those songs like blew up pretty quickly, like in the local community and all that. And, uh, we got offered a record deal before the band was even a band. Uh, <laughs> all the crazy stuff just happened. Our second show, our second show ever was opening for hello. Goodbye and vacationer. Yeah. It was just like like we didn't try, you know. It was just That's like this happened. It was like it was crazy, man. It was cool. Um, Can I just say so then, I love Vacationer. <laughs> I love Vacationer too. I love Kenny Vasoli. Uh, He's such a good dude. I I don't know him at all. Um, you know, He's I got to meet him. Yeah, of course I know of him. Yeah. I know the band. I know the starting line. I love the starting line. Um, and personal. And I love Vacationer. Personnel is really cool. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing that uh, acoustic starting line EP and be like, oh shit, you can put like electronic beats on like pop punk songs and that's cool. And so like it, definitely an innovative, smart and very talented songwriter. Oh, 100%. Uh, and I, I hope, I hope we cross paths in some way. I'm sure we will. I'm, I bet I a hundred percent bet we have the same friends. So <laughs> <laughs> so you um, started this band during law school. I started this band during law school, yeah. 
when most people are just owning their lives to law school, you're like, yeah. fuck it. I'm going to start yeah. a band. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> law school is really, really hard. Don't get me wrong. What is it's your really, life? Really, really hard. But it's, um, I learned quickly how to succeed in law school. And it's not, it's not about um, burying yourself in the books all the time. It's about knowing what you need to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, I mean, I did the same thing with grad school. Once I figured out kind of the motions, what I needed to read for, how I needed to write, once I figured those things out, like that's exactly I, it. It was kind of just going to class. It's yeah, that's exactly it's the systems. Yep. You know, so once you get your system and do it, it's all good. And and for, that's that's academia. Unfortunately, I don't think it should be like that. Yep. But that's how academia works, and I think that's also academia's uh, downfall for yep. a lot of reasons. But what you what you study in grad school? That would be a whole other podcast that I think you and I would just destroy. <laughs> <laughs> we should. I will totally tag team in with you, and we should get a third guest. I'm totally yes. down. Yes, um, that would be so really interesting. In grad school, I did higher education administration, so basically how to work with uh, college students and how to. How to base how to basically like understand how universities work and function. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's an so you intense think, thing you think to you're study. I read for a while. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I I love education and I love working in colleges and like my goal is to like become a the tattooed dean of students. So that's so cool. I love it. Yeah, I love it. My, we'll get there. My fiance is actually a teacher. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so a lot of respect to uh, educators and people that help make that thing work. You know, Ugh. it's not easy. <laughs> we need the yeah. we need the appreciation. Yeah, yeah. So the new album comes out this week. Rad Pop, love the name of yeah. the album, and uh, it has. So when it was when I was reached out to, I was told like it's a pop punk band. And I was like, I hadn't heard of the band yet. Actually, you're the first. Uh, guest that I've had that was it was reached out to me like hey you should talk to this guy and I was like all right fuck yeah and I was like it's a pop punk band and I'm like all right cool I'll check it out and I'm like it's way more than a pop punk band <laughs> that's dude that's that means a lot and I'm gonna have to talk to our PR guy because I don't think we're a pop punk band either and that's why we, that's why we called it rad pop I mean like it's it's just a it's an eclectic album it's you know there's there's there are punk rock songs on there you know yeah. and like because that's just, that's that's our roots, you know. But I'm looking at the email again, it is pop punk vibe. Okay, okay, vibe. We'll, we'll have to talk to Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Scott is a gr- Scott is a great dude. Uh, he's a really great dude. I yeah. love Scott. He's he's um uh have you have you had a chance to talk to him on the phone or anything yet? No, I have not. Only through uh internet. Okay, cool. He's a really sweet guy. Very very reserved. Very nice guy. Um, and I think really we've been at many gig- we've been at many gigs at the same time, but have never actually yeah. like met. He's a great human, man. And you meet a lot of people like good and bad in this world. And this guy is at you know tip top cream of the crop. Mm. So shout out, shout out to Scott, the PR guy, for for putting this together. But yeah, Rad Pop is um, a record that we wrote over the course of you know two and a half, two two and a half years. All that stuff I talked to you about, like traveling the world and. Um, you know, a friend passing away and 
you know, doing all this crazy stuff with work, getting engaged, going through a rough breakup. Like there's like a lot of shit that happened over the last couple of years. And it's, it's like, it's in this album. This album is very personal. Um, you know, between Eric and I, Eric's the other guy that sings. He also engineered and produced the record. Um, we did it all in house. The whole record is DIY. Nice. Um, so we did all ourselves. Um, the people that guest um, were guest musicians on it were was a good friend of mine, Kevin Krause. He played the banjo on the mountain, and Wiley Burge played slide guitar on the mountain. Those guys were um, Wiley was my college roommate. Kevin is a, one of my best friends. I was in his wedding party. So this is just like a very like personal album. And we called it Rad Pop because over the last couple of years, people have called us a nerd rock band, indie rock band, pop punk band, punk rock band, alternative band. They call us, you know, they try to call us whatever they want to call us. But they, you know, if you put us on a show at State Champs, I feel like we'd be a weird fit. If you put us on a show with like, um, I don't know, we played with Andrew WK. That was kind of a weird fit. We we did a tour with Icarus the Owl. That was kind of a weird fit. So From we're, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, who I love, great guys. Yeah, um, I've I've seen them many times. They're great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, say what up to them for me. Um, yeah, but yeah, man. So we're 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 a band that like doesn't quite fit with everyone, but because of that, we fit in with everyone. You yeah, know what I mean, oh, I, to- I totally get that. You're. It's kind of okay. So when I was going through the album. And I was, I was, we were actually going through Spotify when, when this was first pitched, and I was playing some of the songs for my partner, who is 100% a pop punker, and we were listening to some of the songs, and Katie was like, this isn't the kind of, this, I forget which song it was, but like initially it was like, this doesn't sound like pop punk. And then we played another song, it was like, oh, I can fuck with this. <laughs> and I was like, the sound that y'all have on the album is like very, to me, it's very evergreen. Like, you could play these songs, I think, at any point within the last 20 years, and people would be like, oh, this is that band that came up with, like, the Get Up Kids, probably, or this is the band that came up with, like, Brand New, probably, or this is the band that came up with State Champ, like, there's influences, or, like, Weezer, like, it sprinkled everywhere, like, you could listen to this album at different points in, like, the last 20 years of music history, and it would fit somewhere, and that's... That's cool. That's a fucking feat because not a lot of because there are so many bands that hit on just like what is the trend and yeah I because there are so many bands that I'll hear I'm like oh this only is influenced by that first My Chemical Romance album I get it right turn the page but like I feel <laughs> like this has a lot of different stuff sprinkled throughout it that makes it feel familiar and still fresh at the same time. So That's hell super yeah. Cool. Thank you for saying <laughs> that. I appreciate that. No, like we really appreciate that. And I mean, like, that's completely because we love all that stuff. You know, like <laughs> like like I I fucking love Ben Folds Five. Yeah. Ben Folds Five is one of my favorite bands. I love the Beach Boys. I also love Radiohead, which yeah. are totally different things. Yep. But then I love Blink 182. Mm-hmm. I love Green Day. I like, you know, those those like SoCal bands. And so, you know, what's interesting is if you come to a Great Heights band show. You will see someone that is 12 years old or, or 10 or 11 years old at their first concert ever. Yeah. And you will see someone that's like 50 years old rocking out just as hard. That's so great. It is, it is, <laughs> it is such a cool environment. I really encourage you to come out to a show sometime. Yeah. Uh, I want we, to. We like to have a party and like the guys in this band are like, 
we're just good dudes. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like That's the good. guys in this band, are just good dudes. They're not, they're not like some of those folks out there in the scene that are, you know, abusing their, their situation. They're just mm-hmm. people that like playing music. They're normal. And I think that's something that, like, I think that's something that attracted a lot of people to Weezer back in the day, is that, like, holy shit, that that could be, like, my professor. <laughs> They're just, like, my, a bunch of guys. <laughs> yeah, just dudes, you know, and so that, that's us, like, and so um, uh, we're starting at the point now, a couple years in, a few years in now, that we're starting to see a lot of people coming to shows over and over again, and they're our friends now, because we hang out, and we chill, and we vibe and stuff, and so... Um, this album, whether lyrically or sound wise, so personal. And I think that, um, I think you're right. I think you nailed it, nailed it on the head in terms of like what we were going for. That's awesome. I I like to think that I, I listened to enough stuff to get a good idea. So I listen to a lot of stuff and I can get a good idea if I'm going to dig the album, if like, cause I can like skip around a little bit and I'm a big philosophizer of how people arrange an album because I think there's, there's so much to that. And if I can flip through and kind of get a feel for the flow, I can tell yeah. pretty quick if I'm going to like something or not. Cause if I, totally. can, if everything starts to feel samey, I'm like, uh, but if I can jump around right. and hear a lot of different things, I'll go th- give the album an entire listen, give it all of my attention, generally at the gym, running, cycling, <laughs> something like that. And yeah. that's what I got from this. And so um, I think that that, and so like, I think it's also Scott having a good idea of what I would come, like what I would, what I would listen to and what I would appreciate. Um, Cause we interact a lot about music. So nailed it right on the head. Hey everyone, Jacqueline here from In Between Spins. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the Edge of Punks podcast. I'm just dropping by to tell you a little bit more about In Between Spins. It probably comes as no surprise that I love collecting vinyl. It's been a hobby and a huge obsession of mine for over a decade. And over the years, I've had the pleasure of meeting and connecting with other femme and non-binary vinyl collectors through social media and record fairs. However, this space is still heavily dominated by men. And this is why I created In Between Spins. Every week, I'll share pieces of my record collection, books I'm reading, art I'm enjoying, and whatever else I'm doing in between spinning records. In addition to the In Between Spins YouTube channel dedicated to femme and non-binary vinyl collectors, the first quarterly zine is available now to purchase with all proceeds going to Trinity Place Shelter, a homeless shelter in New York City for LGBTQ youth. This first zine is centered on feminism and how we navigate relationships with male figures in our lives. If you'd like to get involved with the channel or zine, feel free to reach out to me on social media or email hello at inbetweenspins.com. Talk to you all soon and enjoy the rest of this episode. All right, let's lightning round this. You can answer off the top of your head or just however you want to answer. Take as much time as you need. What is your favorite color? Red for the Houston Rockets because I'm a huge Houston Rockets fan. Oh, and I'm a Portland Trail. Oh, fan. yeah, because you're from <laughs> Portland. That's right. <laughs> Man. Yo, Damien killed us. Remember a few years ago when Lillard? Oh, that the still hurts, man. Felt round the, the shot. world. I, he, I'm and, still And the second he that. turned around, he knew it. Oh, my God. I was Chandler in the Parsons. library. 
I was Chandler in the library <laughs> at UMass Amherst watching that game at 1 a.m. because that sucks having uh. to watch shows in the West or games in the West Coast. Watching that game, and I was the only one in the library, and I just yelled, like, yes, <laughs> it went in! <laughs> so uh, maybe we'll see in the next round if we get past the Pelicans. Maybe. The Pelicans were tough. You lost game one. <sighs> that was a tough game, but we I was amazed we even came back. We were playing like crap. Lillard had three points at the end of the first half. Ugh. Sorry. He's clutch though. I, I think I think you guys are gonna pull it out. Well and the Rockets like crushed it this year, so you shouldn't have too much to worry about. Chris Paul coming in for y'all. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. All right. Uh were you an Astros fan too then? I was. I, I mean, mean I am. They got that they got <laughs> so that, that that championship. Yeah. So yeah. you know, growing up in Houston, man, it's it's a it's a tough it's no it's not Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. It's a tough city to like root for. Yeah. Um, until recently, now our teams are good, so it's great. And I've only ever had one team, so I'm yeah. sticking with my Blazers. <laughs> well, don't you have, don't you have don't they have the uh, the soccer team? Yeah, the we Timbers have the Timbers. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I like the Timbers, but I've had the Blazers since I was like 13. Right through the jail Blazer years. Yeah, that was bad. Yep. yep. And then um, you guys sent us Clyde the Glide. That was I love that back in the. 9495. Yep. Great. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about favorite food? Um I typically my favorite food is the last thing I just ate. I'm not a very picky guy. <laughs> so literally tonight um, I made some Thai curry for Mel um, because she uh, is teaching all the time and it's hard for her to like have time to do stuff and I had some extra time and so I learned how to make it when I was in Thailand. Um, I was out in the middle of this amazing um, ranch that I met this like farmer rancher guy at this um, at this like large food market, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Hey, you want to learn how to like make Thai food?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" And next <laughs> thing I know, I'm out there and like he's teaching me how to make this stuff, and so that's what I made tonight. It's nice. amazing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie? That thing you do. Oh, okay. You were ready with that. Yeah. What do you about have a, you seen it? Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, what about a favorite book? Um, all time? I don't know. That is a really tough question. I like a lot of books. Um, I don't know. Pass. I like a lot of them. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were just going to say the art of the deal and we'd move on. But <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in fact, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it. I had a feeling. <laughs> what about TV? What's a favorite show you like to watch or just something you binged recently? Um, we like to binge a lot of Netflix series, so we just watched Seven Seconds, which was pretty depressing. But in terms of shows that have been important in my life, mm-hmm. The Simpsons, nice, Curb Your Enthusiasm. In fact, Seinfeld. Do you like Seinfeld? Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. And I'm Curb. glad you said that. I've literally ended relationships because people didn't like Seinfeld. Just saying. That's amazing. <laughs> I've because shown... you know, like, when you're not sure about the situation, there's a couple of things you can you can 
you know, address and see if, look, if this is going to be a thing or not, if you're willing to work through those, those issues. And so if they did not like Seinfeld, that was a deal. All right. That was a deal. That's, that is the deal breaker. Oh man. Uh, do you watch? It's always sunny. Yeah. I love it's always sunny. Okay. So I have a theory that it's always sunny is like Seinfeld. If they were all actually terrible people. Yes. Yes. I agree. Which like the dentist system, the dentist systems where it's at. Oh yeah, and to a degree, <laughs> all of the people on Seinfeld are not good people. Like they're pretty selfish people. They're pretty bad people. And it's always sunny is like you turned it up to eleven. Uh, what about a favorite band or one you're listening um, to this, right now? Yeah, this changes a lot, but. Uh, and the most cliche answer is the Beatles because mm-hmm. they've they've been the influence the most influential band of all time. But um, band that I'm like really into right now that I've been into for the last fifteen years is Punchline. They just put oh, out yeah. a new album, Lion. Um, good friend of ours. Um, I really like. Uh, um, I'm of course a big Weezer fan. Um, Love ben, anything by Ben Folds. Huge Beach Boys fan. Um, like I said earlier, I love Radiohead. Um, Blink-182 probably changed my life. Um, the, uh, the Offspring made me want to cuss in music. Um, the, Cure, the Cure made me want to sing about stuff that mattered. Oh, that's um, so great. I just got Disintegration on vinyl. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah dude, there's so many. Depeche Mode for their, their production. Um there's just like so many, so many bands for so so many different reasons. That's great. Uh, and as far as the current band goes, people are going to hate this answer, but um, I like Coldplay a lot. Coldplay okay. is great in terms of like XY and stuff like that. Just like the production and the songwriting is just like amazing. I love Elliot Smith for mm-hmm. the complete opposite reasons, um, which is all he was about his lo-fi voice. as hell, lo-fi as fuck. You know, just an acoustic guitar and his voice, but he. But he did really cool stuff with um, double tracking his vocals, which a lot of people weren't doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Then there's like Nirvana and all the stuff they were doing, you know, early '90s. But then, really, Unplugged in New York is freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could talk this again. This is a whole other pod. I could talk about this stuff forever. <laughs> I'm gonna end with probably the probably. It sounds like it might be a harder question. Do you have a favorite album of all time? Pinkerton. Okay. And the reason I say Pinkerton is because it was, um, the songs are great. It was groundbreaking for the time. And sonically, that album is just, it sounds like it was recorded in a garage that had the best microphones ever. (laughs) And like, it it was the follow-up to the Blue album. And where the hell did it come from? Right. Right, like, and most people hated it. Yeah, like, <laughs> where were you coming? That And that's why they yeah. went back to the sound when they did Green, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they were like, oh, people didn't really like Pinkerton, so let's go back. Yeah, but like, exactly. now it's oh, like I the forgot. album. I have, to name, I have to name one before we go. Go ahead. So this is, this is another one. This is probably the Pinkerton of this band. I like the Pinkertons of most bands. That's, <laughs> I think that's the common thing, but... In Reverie by Saves the Day. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I got that. Most people would say stay what you are. Most other people might say through being cool. Mm-hmm. 
In Reverie is the best saves the day record. Oh shit! By I've far. got some listeners who might fight you. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's okay to hold on things because nostalgia. It's like totally cool and like where you were at the time. But objectively, In Reverie, much better songs, way better production, yeah. way more interesting. It's just a cooler record. Yep. Dang. Well, dude, it was so great chatting with you. Learned so much. I'm excited for folks to get to hear Rad Pop out this Friday. And really glad that uh, I got exposed to y'all. So, hell yeah. That's cool, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time um, not only to to listen to our record, give us a shot, give give me this little platform, you know, with with your podcast. And it's been really a pleasure just to get to know you. Um, I can't wait to, to meet you in person and hang and do that whole thing yeah um, and i'm proud of you dude you're like doing good stuff and i and another thing is i love that you're taking control of your own like health <laughs> like just taking it all back like going to the gym working out doing that whole thing biking around like yeah. that's really cool i yeah. respect that it's keeps me alive <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 as long as possible yeah <laughs> All right, we did it. Another episode done. What a fantastic conversation with Neil. Uh, I learned a whole lot in this episode about, I mean, politics, lobbying, how easy law school is, apparently, and what it's like starting a band during law school. Like, holy shit, Neil, he's, he's gone through a lot of stuff. He's had a lot of ups and downs, but throughout it all, he stuck it to the man and is now... Uh, continuing to fight for healthcare and for all the good things in the world. And for that, I thank him for his time and for making art and for doing a lot of kick-ass things in the world. I'm so thankful. Cannot wait to meet him in human form so that I know that we are all real people. Uh, if you liked what you heard, check out the new Great Heights band album this friday april 20th it is called rad pop it is out through ci records go to the great and get yourself a vinyl copy cd copy or stream it download it wherever you can wherever you get music it's a diy release they did it all like you said or like neil said they did it all in their studio on their own dime with just with themselves and that's admirable as hell as someone who's put out a couple albums that way it's not easy it's really hard and you you wonder if anyone's ever gonna hear it but here you've gotten to hear a bunch of it so here you go you're already halfway there i hope you really uh enjoy the album and that you get yourself a copy of it as well Also check out Table Turned if you want to get yourself some vinyl every month. If you want to subscribe and get yourself some post-hardcore tunes or some shoegaze tunes, yeah, go to tableturn.com and they'll hook you up. And be on the lookout for the next episode next week of In Between Spins. It's a really fun conversation on getting to the gig. Uh, But for now, that's all I've got for you. Tell your friends, rate, review, subscribe. It helps out a whole bunch. I'm going to leave you with some of the song called What's Real by the Great Heights Band. And yeah, that's all I got. Let's get to work.